I love that, Anna, you read that psalm about this is the day that the Lord has made. Because when I looked out my window this morning, at the, I saw it was a beautiful, classic Wellington day with not a breath of wind and uh, not a ripple on the ocean. I was like, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I was like, oh, I think I want to read that psalm. But kind of Lord put on my heart some other things to read. So he communicated to you that. Isn't that cool? That the Lord speaks to us. We thank you, Jesus, that this is the day that you have made. You have given us this day. you even given us this time this morning to be in your presence, to listen to your words, to hear your voice speaking to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us right now. And Father, I pray that for each one of us this morning, whether we're here, level 2, 147 Thorn and Key, or we're following on the live stream at home, that you would speak to us and we would hear your words of life this morning, Lord. Your words of truth, Lord. You would draw us into your presence. You would wreck us, Lord, for you, and that nothing else would come close to that. Lord, you would help us to see that you and your kingdom are the pearl of greatest price. That we could give everything we have to attain you and your kingdom, Lord. That you're worthy of it all, our whole lives for you, just as you gave your whole life for us. Lord, thank you. And thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm pretty excited, as you might have picked up. Have you ever been to a wedding? I'm sure most of you have been to a wedding. Yeah, you've been to a wedding, eh? And so you go to a wedding, and there's the, uh, in, a, in, a, in a Western wedding, anyway, I don't know so much about other cultures, but the weddings I've been to, typically the groom, the bridegroom is standing at the front with his groomsman, his best man, the minister, the celebrant, and they're all sort of waiting, anxiously waiting for the bride who's always late, and then <laughs> always late, um, and then... And then when the and when the bride walks in into the church or whatever wedding you are picturing at the moment, the bride walks in and the and the groom turns to see her and it's like they only have eyes for each other, eh? Everything else kind of fades, fades into the background. And I've been really privileged to um be able to um be the, be the celebrant to marry uh, some couples and uh, and I've seen just like the expression of um of radiant love on the bride's face as she kind of like looks at her groom and it's like, this is just this magic. It's, it's hard to describe. And if you've been, if you are married, you've been married, then, then you'll know what that's like. And you'll know what that's like too, man, Zoe, <laughs> when you get married. But that, this this incredible moment, this incredible moment. They only have eyes for each other. The bride only has eyes for her groom. The groom only has eyes for his bride. And throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the people of God are described, often described as being the bride of God or the wife of God. Isn't that weird? In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were the bride, and there's this, um, there's this prophetic book in the Old Testament called Hosea. And if you haven't read that, then have a read. It's really, really hard-hitting. The prophetic book of Hosea describes Israel as being an unfaithful wife. Because Israel chased after and worshipped idols or things that were not of God rather than remaining true and faithful to God. 
They, they, Israel described like a wife, like a married woman who goes off and has an affair. And God is heartbroken. But even though Israel was unfaithful to God, God promised that he would forgive them, that he would embrace them, that he would welcome them back into, into a relationship with him. And so Hosea, the prophet, he actually, he, God actually asked him to enact this, to enact this prophecy. It's, it's, it's a tough read, but I encourage you to have a read of it. Hosea 2, it works, Ray. Legend. Hosea 2, 19 to 20 says, And I will betroth you to me forever. Betroth is like saying engaged. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And remember, the Lord is, is speaking to Israel as though she is his unfaithful wife. And he's saying this. It's like this incredible love. And in the New Testament, in the New Testament, that it changes slightly. Now, now instead of just being Israel, Jews and Gentiles, all of us get uh, included as the people of God. Everyone who is part of the Christian church because of Jesus and only through Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus, those who worship Jesus as the King of Kings. We collectively are the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. <laughs> we are the bride. And, and this is really, this can be really hard to get our heads around, maybe especially for uh, guys, that we are a bride. And well, the idea that we are the, we're the bride that's betrothed or engaged to Jesus, and it's quite uncomfortable, and it might even be off-putting or even distasteful. It's not very masculine, is it, to think of ourselves as the, as the bride, of God, and yet this this is where I'm going to go this morning. This is where I feel like the Lord wants us to press into and to think about, because whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, God is shaping us, God is preparing us, God is readying us to be a bride that is fit for His Son, fit and worthy to marry His Son, who is the most glorious, the victorious, the Most High King. Of heaven, Jesus. <laughs> and this morning we've already shared in communion about, and I've talked about love and the incredible self giving love that God has for us, this love that led Jesus to the cross to die for us, the greater than love that he has, the love that goes beyond all other loves. God loves me, and God loves you, and he invites us to love him back. Jesus says the greatest commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And in case you didn't know, that's actually all of who you are, all of your being. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. The kind of love that God desires from us is the kind of love that he gives us first. It reflects his love. We are to reflect his love. We are to love him with all of our being, heart, soul, and mind. Love. I want to know what love is. Want you to show me. And he does. Ephesians 5.25. This is Paul, Paul writing. 
and he's, he's, he's actually writing to husbands. And he says, this is Ephesians five twenty-five to 32. He writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Think about that. We are members of his body. Therefore, he cherishes us. Therefore, he nourishes us. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he begins this passage talking about husbands and wives and marriage and and how a husband should treasure and value his wife. And then he, and he, and he quickly kind of ends up talking about, no, the greater mystery is this. It's Christ in the church. And so you read this passage and you go, is, what's a picture of what? Is, is marriage a picture of Christ in the church? Or is, uh, is, is he simply using this as an illustration? And sometimes I wonder that uh, marriage is actually like this prophetic thing that represents the coming together of God and his people. But he says... He speaks to husbands and he goes, you husbands, you misters, you've got, to treat, you've got to treat your wife well. You've got to value and treasure her because your marriage to her is a picture of, of Jesus Christ in the church. And what did Jesus do? He gave up everything for the church. He gave up everything. He let himself be crucified. Remember the greater than love. He gave up everything for his church. And likewise, marriage at its best, marriage at its, at its finest, at its most beautiful, is when the husband and the wife are able to love each other with a self-giving love for the other. To lay down our own desires. And my goodness, it's easier said than done. I thought marriage was pretty easy until I got married. And that's not, you know... That that sound that makes me you know it sounds like Tessa and I have a, a terrible relationship, but we don't. We love each other so much. But I just realised when I got married, oh my goodness, I'm so much more selfish than I ever knew. And then Elena comes along, and I realise, oh my goodness, I'm so much more selfish than I ever knew. And we're having another baby. Awesome. <laughs> I reckon that marriage is a crucible, and that's not something that Hollywood's ever going to teach you. No romantic movie has that message, that marriage is a crucible that refines you and teaches you to be self-giving. No, the Hollywood message and our culture's message about marriage and about relationships is it's all about me, and um, we're all good as as long as my needs are being met. That's a diversion. That's not where I'm going today. Marriage at its best is a relationship of self-giving love for the other. But this passage that we're looking at, it speaks of this future moment in time, this epic moment, this most glorious moment in time when Jesus and his bride come together. Jesus is with us right now. 
Absolutely. We are gathered in his name. And Jesus promised where two or three are gathered in his name, then he's here in our midst. And so every week we sort of make an effort to go, we're gathered in your name, Jesus. We're gathered in your name. He is gathered. He's in our midst. He also dwells within us as individuals. When we come to Jesus, when we come to Jesus and we believe in him and we give our lives to him, he enters our hearts. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Spirit of Jesus fills us. But this passage is not talking about that. This passage speaks of a future moment when the King, when the King will return in all his glory to be united with his people. This moment when the church will be presented to church like a bride. This moment, this moment that I've got on highlighted up here. That the church will be presented to him in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, with any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's us, Capital Vineyard Church, that's us. We will be presented to Jesus as the pure, spotless bride. It's not just us, it's the wider church, but we are part of that. We are part of that. So I want to turn now to uh, another another passage. This is in one of my favorite books, Rev, Book of Revelation. So again, if you've never read the Book of Revelation, then then have a read and pre- prepared for your mind to be blown. And the Book of Revelation was written by John. He was uh, exiled, so the Christians already were coming under persecution. He was exiled to this island, and he was in a cave. And in that cave, in that place of incredible hardship, he has this vision, this most amazing vision of heaven and everything that was going, everything that was going on. But it also speaks of it speaks of then, two thousand years ago, and it speaks of a coming time. It speaks of now. It speaks of a coming time. And so, right at the very end of Revelation, it's like this: it's, it's this vision of when uh, when Jesus returns in all His glory. And it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. Why? Why do we rejoice? For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She has Grant, it was granted to her. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, write this down, John. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And then John. John does what John does so many times. He falls down. He goes, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship only God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Isn't it an incredible moment? All of heaven erupting in praise and worship because it's marriage time. It's wedding time. It's the most epic of all weddings. It's the coming together of Jesus with his, with his beautiful bride, which is us, the church. And in the scene, everyone there, the angels, the creatures around the throne, are praising him because it's this time of the wedding. 
And it's such a tremendous moment of celebration and feasting. In this, in this translation, it calls it the marriage supper. But feast is a much better word because a supper sounds like a, like a super wine before you go to bed. But that's not what he's talking about. It's not a super wine before you go to bed. It's not a ginger nut. They're good, but they're not, it's not what it's talking about. I've looked at the Greek. It's this tremendous moment of celebration, and it's so loud and so powerful that John goes, Brook, and he's on the ground, worshipping the angel. And the angel says, don't do that. Never do that. He speaks to us too. Never do that. And let's never, never worship angels, and let's never worship people. Let's never put people up on a pedestal and say, you've got all the answers. Never worship angels or people or anything other than God. And I'm going to take a quick side note. And it's this last line that says, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. A lot of us want to prophesy. Every time you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You are prophesying. You're prophesying, you're speaking into, into our world, into our culture, that Jesus is the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega. A prophecy that denies Jesus, on the other hand. A prophecy that says Jesus did not rise from the dead, or Jesus did not die for our sins, or that Jesus is not the King of Kings, is a deception. It's a false prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So go ahead. When we, come together this, when we come together as a church, we can prophesy all together. We don't necessarily feel any different. We're just saying what we believe to be true, and that is prophecy. Back, back to where we were talking about the, the wedding. This future moment in time when Jesus returns and is united with the bride is this moment that all of heaven is anticipating, even now. Even now. This present time, these last days, this present time that has been the present time since Jesus came 2,000 years ago. It's a long time from our perspective. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of preparation. The bride, we are being prepared to be presented to Jesus in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. That we, that she, the bride, might be holy and without blemish. Right now we live in this time between times, but it's a time of preparation. It's a time of purpose. It's a time of meaning. It's not a waste of time. That's why we go, this is the day the Lord has made. It's not a day just to get through. God is calling us. I want to talk to, I want to, talk to us as a church. At, I want to talk to Capital Vineyard Church, to us. God is calling us. God is calling us, inviting us. God is drawing us. God is wooing us towards himself. He's calling us. He's going, my church, return to me. Come to me. Lift up your eyes to me. He is shaping us. He's preparing us to be the bride fit for his son. to be ready for that wedding day that all of heaven is waiting for. I want you to imagine another wedding. Hopefully you haven't been to a wedding like this. 
You're in the wedding. You're, you're one of the, the audience or the invited guests at the wedding. And it's, and it's an old church because, you know, this is what we're going for in our shared imagination. It's an old church. It's probably old St. Paul's up the road. Got a beautiful, nice high ceiling. You've got really uncomfortable wooden pews. But it's beautiful. It's, ga- it's great for taking photos. What's felt really counts. And up the front, you're a guest, so you've got your, you've got your glad rags on. Nice shirt, nice tie, fit of shave. And up the front, there's the, there's the groomsmen, and they all look their best. They've got their suits on, their shiny shoes. The best man's a bit nervous because he can't remember if he's forgotten the ring or not. So he's checking his pockets, doing the old, where's the ring dance? And the, and the celebrant, the minister, he's up the front, he's already. But then there's something's a bit off. And you look at the groom, you're like, nah, something's not quite right. It looks like he's just got out of bed. He has. He's got his pajamas. He's still wearing his pajamas. He's still wearing his boxer shorts that he wears to bed at night. I don't even think he's had a shave. Something's not quite right. And then, then you notice that he's got his phone out. He's surfing the internet. It's his wedding day and he's surfing the internet. I can't believe it. You kind of like put your head around to have a look and yeah, he's on Facebook. My goodness, what could be more important than being at your own wedding day? He's looking at Facebook. So he carries on surfing the internet. Remember, you're part of the, you're part of the audience, the congregation, the invited guests. And then, every, then everybody stands and they turn because the bride has arrived. She's now at the back, the back door of that church. She's there. She looks beautiful. She looks just like my Tessa did on our wedding day. She's got this beautiful wedding dress on, white, beautiful. She's got, you know, her makeup is perfect. Her hair is done just perfectly, not a hair out of place. She's even got fancy shoes on that she's probably been saving up for years for. But she looks at her she looks at her groom standing at the front of the church and he hasn't even noticed. He's standing there. Actually he hasn't even stood yet. He's still sitting down, he's still on his phone, he hasn't even turned around to have a look at her. And you see on her face just this distraught look. She's beautiful, but she's distraught and tears start moving down her face and then she just turns. And she walks away. My imagination's getting me. <laughs> Getting me emotional. <laughs> I hope that you've never been to a wedding like that. That would be the most horrible thing, wouldn't it? You'd go, she did the right thing. He was not ready for her. He was not waiting for her. He was not prepared for her. He didn't even want her. Does he love her? We don't even know. She's better off leaving. No one blames her. Man, I've been to a lot of weddings. I've never been to a wedding like that. No, what happens? What happens is this. Love. Love is like that standout thing. When the bride arrives and she sees the groom, it's like love. It's almost like you can touch it. It's love. Love is the key. Love is the foundation that everything stands on. People marry because of love. Hopefully, people marry because of love. I know that's not always the way. People marry because of love. People in love do things for each other because they love each other. They even do things they don't like to do. They do it for each other simply because they love each other. And remember, love is more than a feeling. Love is a decision. You go, I love this person. 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them my love by laying myself down. People in love gravitate towards each other, respond to the other, think about each other. Because of love, nothing else can describe it. Because of love. And Jesus, Jesus loves us like no other. He loves us with a greater than love that, that no one else can ever come close. And he invites us to love him. And Capital Vineyard Church, we are to be a church that loves him, that welcomes him and invites him and is prepared for him simply because we long to be near him. Because he is the most glorious king of kings, that no one comes close to him. That he is the one who laid down his, love, his life for us. We are to love him. We are not to be like that groom in the wedding who did not love his bride. We are to love, we are to love him. Love is the, is, the, is the foundation. It's the most important thing. It's so important that I made a slide for it. It says love. It's a powerful thing. The second thing that stands out for me from the weddings that I've been to is this. Focus. At weddings, the bride and the groom are focused on each other. They only have eyes for each other. They're focused on each other. Hebrews says this. Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We will be a church. I'm speaking this out over us. We will be a church that is focused on Jesus with our eyes set upon him, giving him our full attention. This is the church that God is shaping us into. We will be a church that gives him our full attention. And unapologetically, I'm going to continue to encourage us all to do what we can to remove distractions when we come together like this on a Sunday morning, when we come to worship him. I know I keep going on about it, but putting away our phone, putting it in flight mode, doing what we can to remove distractions, even saving conversations until after the service in order to give our all to Jesus in this moment that he dwells in our midst. We will be a church that is focused on Jesus because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the all in all. We will be a bride that is is focused on her groom. The third word that stands out to me is preparation. Love focused preparation. At weddings, the bride and the groom are prepared for each other. I remember uh, my wedding day, I remember being uh, so prepared that I thought about every single thing that I'd be wearing. I even remember thinking about um, my shaving regime. It sounds ridiculous, but being so well shaved for the day of my wedding. I even thought about what, what socks and undies I was going to be wearing on my wedding. I was that prepared. The church is to prepare herself for Jesus' return. The church is to prepare herself for Jesus' return with God, not on our own. We're to prepare herself. And it's not a matter of wearing nice clothes on the, because it's not a matter, it's not what's on the outside that God's looking at. When he arrives on the wedding day, he's not going to be looking at what you're wearing on the outside. He's going to be looking at what's on the inside, what's on our hearts. So how do we prepare? How do we prepare ourselves? Preparation is a journey, is the lifetime journey of of, uh, learning 
to follow Jesus and respond to his words. It's a journey of uh, learning how to live lives of purity and intimacy with him. Getting rid of the sins that entangle, or in that Hebrews passage, the sin which clings so closely, we shake it off. Why would we shake it off? Because we're preparing ourselves for intimacy with Jesus, for coming in uh, to that intimate space with him. Preparation involves inviting him, praying that scary prayer, which is to invite him, Lord, would you show me the things that are in my life which are actually getting in the way of my relationship with you? Because, Lord, I don't want them there anymore. They are not worth it. They're not worth it. Show me, Lord, the worthless idols in my life. In my life. Show me, Lord, anything that I'm giving inappropriate attention or care or time to that is getting in the way. This is preparation. Just as... Just as the husband and wife prepare themselves for each other, living pure lives in order to come together on their wedding day, we are to prepare ourselves. We are to be a church, a pure bride that is prepared and is preparing herself for Jesus. Capital Vineyard. <laughs> the fourth word is anticipation. At weddings, the bride and the groom and usually everybody there, all the invited guests, have this heightened sense of expectation and anticipation for when, uh, for when the bride arrives and, and that celebration begins. There's, it's often like a nervous tension, a stressful tension. It's not actually that enjoyable um, in my, from my memory. <laughs> This, this tension, everybody is waiting, everybody's at the ready, and, and we are to live in this expectation and even this anticipation of the return of Jesus. And this is quite hard, because Christians, since, uh, since Jesus ascended 2,000 years ago, have been living with that expectation. We might go our whole lives without Jesus returning in our lifetime but we're still to live with anticipation that he might return at any moment. He might return tomorrow. He might return this afternoon. (laughs) It's just a fuse. Don't even worry about it. If there's no smoke. (laughs) He might return at any moment. He might return at any moment. In fact, we long for him to return, don't we? We see, we see the trouble in our world. We see the conflict. We see the pain. We see the suffering. We go, Lord Jesus, come. And yet when we examine our hearts, probably we don't believe that he will come. Not for ages. Not for ages and ages. But this is what Jesus says. It's always good to say what the boss says. I love his words. He goes, This is Matthew 24, verse 36. I don't have it up on the slide. Jesus himself, this is what he says. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. No one knows the day except for the Father. And then we jump forward to verse 44. He says, therefore, 
you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We are to live with anticipation, preparing ourselves. But God is not a, a horrible God that makes us wait and wait and wait and wait and wait with, with not actually coming towards us. Because as we, as we do these things, as we focus on him, as we prepare ourselves for him, as we anticipate his return, then, then he actually draws close to us and we come to know him more and more and more. Capital Vineyard Church, the Father is shaping us to be a bride fit for his son, fit for the high king of heaven. When my little girl grows up, man, I'm going to be real careful about the boy, that she, the man that, she's mar- that she marries. He's going to have to be pretty high level, right? He, he's going to have to be fit for my daughter. Otherwise, I'm going to, I'm, I might invest in a shotgun. I haven't decided yet. But you know what I'm saying? The bride is going to be fit for the most glorious king of heaven. How am I going for time? Almost there. Capital Vineyard Church. The Father is shaping us to be a bride fit for his son. My vision, not my vision, the vision of the Bible is that this church will be a passionate church that loves him, a church that longs to be close to him, a church that is preparing herself for him and anticipates his return. Lovers, I've been talking a lot about love. Lovers lay down their own wants and their desires for the one they love. And it's to be the same for us. In order to take the hand of the lover of our souls, we need to let go of the other things that we have in our hands, our clingy hands. It's the same for us. We've got to let go of things. We need to let go of the things of the world that we're currently holding on to. We need to endeavor to live lives of purity live lives of righteousness. And it's not out of fear and it's not out of guilt and it's not out of shame, but it's because we love him and he loves us. We're responding to him. Over the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at various aspects of uh, various parts of like church life, uh, our, our church services and the things that we do during the week when we gather with Christians and, and other things that happen. And we're going to look at them from the perspective of the bride that loves her groom, that is in love with her groom. But right now, I want us to uh, encourage us at least to um, take a moment to reflect on our own lives. And, and to think about, are we filled with love for him? To think about, is he really our all in all? Is he our first love? Which is another way of saying it, the highest love, the most important love. Or have we been distracted? Are we, are we been pulled away by the things of the world? Have we been, because this is going to be a constant tension in our lives following Jesus. That culture says, no, this is the better way. You need to have money. You need to have your leisure. You need to have good health. You need to have a great family. You need to be good looking. All these kinds of things, there's so many more. That culture says these things are most important. But Jesus says, no, those things are not most important. The most important thing is is Jesus. And relationship with Jesus, all these things find their correct uh, priority when He is number one. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're you're the one who prepares the bride for Jesus. 
It's like Holy Spirit, you're it's like you're the you're the celebrant at the at the front of the church that's gonna that's gonna be marrying Jesus and the bride. The bride who's been prepared for Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you would you move in our move in our midst, Lord? Would you um would you breathe on our hearts? Would you uh, spark to life? Would you ignite us, God, with love for Jesus? Lord, your scriptures says that your love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we, we ask for you, Lord, right now to pour your love into our hearts. That we might love you with an abandoned love that we might love you with a, uh, a focused love, that we might love you with a, with a love that, um, that causes us to prepare ourselves for you, with a love that anticipates that, that coming together of Jesus and her bride. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I just en- I encourage you in this moment to... Um, even just in your own mind, to, to pray to God and to invite him, invite him in. This is something that only, only you can do. It's between you and Jesus. You can think about, do you, do you want to be a bride that is ready for the son? Or if you do not feel ready, then ask God to prepare you. Ask God to show you. Ask God to prepare you. This is what the bridegroom says to us. Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling, come along with me. I have come, as you have asked, to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. And the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth and left it with left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth all around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there's a change in the air. Arise, my love. Arise, capital vineyard, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. For you are my dove. You are my kiruru, hidden in the split open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship. How lovely your voice in prayer. You must catch the troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship, for they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them? Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. Oh, Lord, this is a mystery that is hard for us 
to get our heads around. This is a mystery, Lord, that you invite us into a relationship that is best described as a marriage, that intimacy, the communion of, of a husband and wife. Lord, and you invite us into that, Lord. Lord, over the coming days, over the coming weeks, over the coming months, would you speak to us, Lord? Would you change the way we see things? Would you help us to to have uh, your vision for the church, for your bride, and for that future day to come when you will when you will return? That future moment when you will return. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.